0: During this time of confusion, both inside and outside the church, how are faithful Catholics to respond? What reason do we have for hope? And how do we participate in the much needed process of renewal? Today, we'll discuss these questions and more with Dr. Ralph Martin, who is the author of A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. I'm Father Dave Pavonka, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, and I'm president of Franciscan University of Steubenville. And today we're talking about Pathways Forward for a Church in Crisis. I'm joined by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin. Pleasure to have you today. Dr. Scott Hahn, pleasure. And we are very blessed and grateful for Dr. Ralph Martin, who is the director of graduate programs in the New Evangelization at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. That's just the beginning. He is also the president of renewal ministries and in 2011 Pope Benedict appointed him as a consultant to the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of the New Evangelization. He's written lots of books. I could just go on and no, and <laughs> <those. laughs> okay. lots of But it's just a great blessing to have uh, Dr. Martin with us to speak about a church in crisis, pathways forward, a new book that uh, Ralph has written recently. Uh, welcome. It's good to have you with us once again. Well, it's always wonderful to be back at Franciscan University. That's great. You're, yeah, you're uh, a, it really is, yeah. You've been such a blessing to the university over many, many years. I all remember, my children have gone here.
1: Uh, I have grandchildren now that are here. So I remember as a student. I, I, every time I come, I run into people. You know, It's really, really wonderful.
2: Well, you should just you know, move here. You, know, you know, Ralph, <laughs> My anytime, wife
1: mentions that from time to
2: time. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anytime I see you, I can't help but picture Father Michael yeah. alongside yeah. you. A yeah. Yeah, blessed <laughs> memory. Yeah.
1: Great. Father Michael is actually very relevant to this book because I wrote a book 40 years ago called A Crisis of Truth, The Attack on Faith, Morality, and Mission of the Catholic Church. Father Mike was listening to the uh, tapes before I actually wrote the book, and he pulled his car over to the side (laughs) of the road and said, Ralph, this is really a word that the church needs to speak. You don't have any credentials at all. I've got credentials. I want to really travel around the world with you and get this message out really stand next to you. And he literally was stand next to me in city after city saying, listen to what this guy's going to say. Awesome. I'm yeah. rector of a seminary. I've got a you know, I went to Harvard Law School. I, you right, know, I've got right. a, You know, all that kind right, of stuff. Right, right, and, right. So it was just the most remarkable thing. I felt so
0: loved yeah. by yeah. God yeah. and so touched by Father Michael's, Amen. somebody in that position. Amen. I think everybody uh, around this table has that same feeling about Father Michael and gratitude for that. Yeah. But in the same way that you wrote that book a number of years ago, Spirit of the Lord is leading you to read this book, to write this book. So what's, what was going on as you began to write this book?
1: Well, I, I thought that Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict had done a pretty good job at settling down yeah. a lot of the undermining of doctrine and morality and mission that, that had happened after Vatican II. But over the last five or six years, it seems like it's back, mm. you know, and, and a lot of the same confusions are back, and there's a lot of significant People supporting it, and and unfortunately, right now there seems to be some ambiguity and confusion, even in Rome. You know, right. it's really hard to get a clear word from the trumpet right now, and so that's just left us open to the culture really, really pressing the church right now on all kinds of issues, and a lot of priests and bishops are intimidated. They right. they 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 aren't speaking clearly, and they, you know, it's just you know a pretty serious situation. A lot of Catholics are are confused, and the division is opening in the church. So. Uh,
0: We've got some problems, amen. But, amen. but Jesus is Lord. Amen, amen. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. People, people tell me, you know, Ralph, you probably know more of what's going on in the church that's not right than anybody. <laughs> Are you discouraged? Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm actually excited because yeah. I think the Lord is purifying the church. I think he's really trying to uh, surface the things that aren't right so it can be dealt with. Mm. There's actually a scripture passage, First Corinthians chapter 11. One of our scripture professors at the seminary points out. It says, there must be divisions amongst you so the true doctrine can stand out. That's, that's...
0: Well, you use the word confusion a couple of times. Let's talk a little bit about that. When you're taking a look at across the the church and the society and culture, what are some of those fundamental confusion, confusing areas that you see?
1: Well, you know, I would say like one of the main values of the secular culture is getting everybody to accept that uh, sexuality is whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. There's no natural law, there's no divine law. Mm Do what you please. No common sense. No, today <laughs> it seems to me. Yeah, they won't say that, but yeah, that's yeah. that's for I sure. They shouldn't have said that. That's, yeah. that's yeah. for sure the Absolutely. case. You know. So, and and even even when this recent clarification about we can't bless same sex unions, it, it, it's kind of timid. You know, and you know, I, I'm I'm looking for somebody to say clearly. Please repent, anybody who's engaging in sexual sin. You know, because Scripture says this is endangering your eternal Mm -hmm. salvation. This is endangering your life in this this er, world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Mm -hmm. you know, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, is that relevant information? Mm -hmm. It really is relevant information. He goes on to say the fornicator, the person who engages in homosexual activity, we're not talking about tendencies or temptations, uh, Mm adultery, adultery greed, uh, idolatry, I mean, and that's not an isolated text. And that's in the catechism of the Catholic Church. The Church believes that, but it needs to say it with some conviction, with some authority, with some clarity, because that's where the culture is really pressing in on us. And because of the silence, many Catholics feel like, well, gee, the Church has got to change, or... You know, so many couples now coming to get married or living together. Well, that's fornication, you know, right, right. you know, but we're not calling things by their proper name. And we're not really warning people that they're endangering their salvation.
3: Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to say, who am I to judge? It's another thing to say, who am I to announce? Who am I to rem- remind people? Yeah. I mean, we're not the judge. God is. But at the yeah. same time, we're the proclaimers, yeah. you know, and it's the good news. But it's also the light that exposes the darkness. Yeah. I remember... When I first met Father Michael Scanlon with Kimberly, she was not yet a Catholic. And he, he described for us, but I think it was for her sake, the confusion that came into the church after Vatican II in the late 60s and early 70s. And he said, I, I stopped my Marian devotions, you know, the rosary, and this was the connection with Kimberly because she wasn't sure, she was somewhat ambivalent about Marian doctrine and devotion. But he just testified to the work of the Holy Spirit. In his life at this place, Franciscan University, and you know, he described how he'd come back to the Blessed Virgin. He'd also come back to an appreciation of John Paul and his papacy, but also to the need for sound doctrine. You know, and uh, he pulled out his rosary and uh, and said, "I now I pray it every day, and it means the world to me." And that testimony to Kimberly. Mm-hmm. And, and then he also warned against you know weaponizing the truth, just simply to clobber. He, I might have told you this, he. He said to me, you know, we've got to remember, too, on our side, that God opposes the proud, mm-hmm. even when they're right. You know, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, that was aimed at me.
0: It yeah. <laughs> yeah. was for Kimberly. Part yeah. was, yeah. <laughs>
3: Well,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I think you can you can put a, a happy construction on what has lately been said uh, that has issued from the Vatican. It may not sound as full throated uh, as we we might uh, uh, prefer, but it was pretty unambiguous yeah, because it yeah. cited but, Christ yeah. himself. God cannot approve of sin. Right. He can't bless no, something that, was, that, that was is that is really evil, strong, that is wrong strong. and disordered.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good line. It, it yeah. Even to see the word sin in that. Right. You no, know, it, it was. I I agree. It was something, yeah. but. But there is that, that confusion, and you've mentioned several times, Ralph, about perhaps the, the bishops and, and the, the bishop from Antwerp who is who's, oh, yeah, just, who's yeah. just come out and said this is wrong, and, and the church is wrong, and, and there has to be yeah. uh, truth being spoken into uh, that.
1: But fortunately, not, he's not the only one. Not. There's <laughs> yeah. been a huge backlash because people rightly are saying, gee, we were being led to think that things were changing, that Pope Francis like. was going to open the door to this, and that... We were gonna like adjust our, maybe wouldn't deny our doctrine, but we'll adjust our pastoral practice and and in all effects, sort of bless these things. So I think people were misled. Actually, I was concerned when Pope Francis first said his, you know, who am I to judge thing? And the homosexual newspaper, the advocate called him the man of the year. I said, I think these people are ultimately gonna be really disappointed, but. Yeah, Yeah, they now feel betrayed. Yeah, they do feel betrayed because there was so much leaning in that direction there's so many welcoming gay couples and you know off the cuff remarks saying God made you this way and all that kind of stuff. Right. People are thinking that we're moving in a different direction. And
0: right. thanks, was, thank be to I God for the statement. But right. I was recently yeah. talking to someone and they were and I would not remember this, but you would, the humanavite, and, and yeah. that they thought it was going to go one way and it came back in the other. Exactly. It's, profoundly it's very similar different. situation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Speaking of that though. It's very troubling what's happening with the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family. Mm-hmm. In Rome. Yeah, in Rome. Yeah, right. It's it's uh it's unambiguous. You don't have to impute motives to anybody. The objective fact is that they're appointing professors and now the new rector, the new head of it, who are opening to uh all these sexual issues. You mm-hmm. know. You know, and they've done it in writing and uh that's not ambiguous, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, no.
2: It would appear to have been gutted. Uh, I mean, the, the whole purpose behind it uh, has been uh, undermined. Yeah. Uh, and and that's alarming.
1: Yeah. So it's another one of those signals. Like, on the one hand, we have this. Could this be happening without the Pope knowing it? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, is he not paying attention? I don't think so. He yeah. appointed somebody whom he knew would do this. Mm-hmm. So what do we have? We have on the one hand this, and on the one hand that, which leaves people unsettled. And is it just their deep Unease. Yeah. Well, started. we're
2: sort of at a crossroads, and I, yeah. I think we have two choices. I mean, one thing we could do is mm-hmm. lament and, and 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 be depressed. And, because this is a disaster. But on the other hand, I think it could be an impetus to renew and intensify our loyalty to the basic deposit of faith. You know, Father Michael would oftentimes quote Martin Buber that success is not a biblical category, fidelity is.
4: And there's not a a lot of it. It's
2: not a name for God too. That's right. That's exactly right. Look at his son hanging lifeless
1: on a cross. That doesn't look like a success to me. Right. I just heard a sermon by a Dominican in the East Coast province saying that the world is saved by sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that there's the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of the mass, and then our sacrifice, offering yeah. our bodies as a living yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. So yeah. it's a call to sacrifices, and it's a call to deeper surrender to the Lord, right. deeper yes. purification of our own life, yeah. deeper fidelity to the revealed Word of God, to the yeah. truth of God. You know, it's a yeah. call for conversion, but deeper I, conversion.
0: I, I think, Ralph, we talked about that yesterday, and now it is this fidelity to the Word of God. I mean, it seems like some of the things that are coming out are in absolute contradiction of the Word of God. So you shared a little bit that, that that's part of the struggle and part of the problem, it's yeah. just not an acceptance of the, the divine Word of God.
1: Yes, in chapter two in the book, I asked is there a solid place to stand? It's got to, it's got to start with our recovering our confidence in the Word of God, mm-hmm. you know, and when you have the head of the Jesuits in Rome a few years ago basically saying, when he was asked about marriage and divorce, you know, when that, all that issue's going on, it still is, he said, well, were you there with a the tape recorder? Do we really know what Jesus said? Oh. oh. Yeah, you, sure know, so it, right. I, you know, I feel like ripping That's my garments. That's pretty shocking. type of thing, you know. So we have to recover our understanding of how the Catholic Church approaches Scripture. And the Constitution on the Sacred Revelation from Vatican II is so good and so clear. And in Section 11, it says, everything asserted by the sacred author should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, God. You know, this mm-hmm. is God mm-hmm. right. is speaking to us and to teach firmly, faithfully, and without error those truths which God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. So this is there for that's, our that's salvation. That's pretty clear. This is there yes. for our salvation, and yeah. there's so many clear assertions. Yes, there are some things hard to understand, but as Mark Twain said, it isn't those things that are so hard to understand that most disturb me. It's those things that are so clear. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know I mean, God's trying to wake us up because he loves us. Right. It's all about love. You know, the the hard sayings of Jesus are all about love. You know, there aren't like compassionate sayings of Jesus and hard sayings of Jesus. It's all about love. He knows the human heart. He knows we need to be confronted. He knows we need to be wakened out of our sluggishness, our sleepiness, our our, our blindness. Yeah. Well, it's not new.
2: Uh, I think it was uh, Newman 150 years ago who predicted this headlong flight into uh, infidelity. Uh, Maybe things have metastasized a bit since Mm -hmm. then, but we ought not to be surprised uh, you know, when, when people take leave of the Catholic thing. I'm, I'm struck by the comment Dr. Johnson made. He was complaining about a certain 18th century clergyman who tended to unsettle everything without ever settling anything. And I think that's the flux that we're living in. We're moving through that kind of confusion. Mm, yeah. It means we have to be all the more clear and courageous.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I you know, want to commend what's happening here at Franciscan University in terms of s- Scripture and what's happening at St. Paul's Center for Biblical Theology. I think the professors you have here in Scripture and the work that the St. Paul Center and Scott Hahn and his collaborators are doing is one of the most important things happening in the church today. Mm-hmm. We have to recover our confidence in the Word of God because if you don't have that, anything goes. You know, yeah. that, That's where our whole doctrine comes from. That's where our whole tradition comes yeah. from. That's what's really expressed in the catechism, of the Catholic
0: Church. So this is precious, what's going on here. And it's such a shame because what you're seeing is kind of the loudest voice or the the voice that seems to be on social media or on the news or whatever the most so that i've found catholics that are saying well this person says this and the church says this as if the two of them are equal <laughs> right. or, or this person says this and i know the scripture yeah. says that but there, there has to be this discernment about yeah. Yeah. what is yeah. true and what is good no,
2: it's insane to think that we enter the classroom with an equal set of credentials, right. God and the theologian. You know, and Kierkegaard has that great quip about God is sitting up down in the vestibule while the scholars debate his existence upstairs. Yeah. This
3: is a return of the dual magisterium, you know, that we yeah. have the magisterium and then we have the academics and that was prevalent in the 60s and 70s and I think 40 years after Vatican II is over in 2005 with the appointment of Pope Benedict we're thinking, okay, 40 years in the wilderness, we forget that when you cross the Jordan, you still have chaos with the second generation yeah, 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 too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything wasn't so clean. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I think under it is not understanding who God is. Yeah. I mean, you know, can we pick that up? Because I think that's a great place to stop for a moment. Sure. Thank you. you. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot more to say, like, who is God? So please stay with us on Franciscan yeah. University Presents.
5: Avoid immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18-20 Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many. How narrow the gate and constricted the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about pathways forward for a church in crisis. Uh, Ralph, you had left us with who is God?
1: I honestly think that we don't understand who God is. Not that any of us do, but we need to understand enough about who God is to bow down on our face and say, speak, Lord, your servant listens, or depart from me, I'm an unclean man, you know, like St. Peter did when he saw the holiness of Jesus, or like Mm -hmm. Isaiah when he you know, encounter what the holiness of God. God you, know, you know, you know, having a man with unclean lips and 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 we ju- we just need to understand that God isn't just another person in the picture. Right. He's God. Right. Huh? Yeah. And he's holy. And he's transcendently holy. He's transcendently good. He's transcendently true and pure. No. And we need to be ever so careful about how we treat him, how we approach him, how we listen to him, and. We are so blessed to live in a time where God has actually spoken. Mm. God has revealed himself. We don't have to kind of stumble around in the dark wondering who this person is who created the universe. He's become one of us. The Word has become flesh. And in Jesus, we have the perfect representation of God. We have words that are coming from God himself in human words, but God God is the primary author, you know. And it's sort of like, uh, it just kills me when people, like, take the words of Jesus as an interesting opinion yeah, yeah. that we now need to kind of catch up with the times on and adjust, you know? I mean, that's, that's terrible. Right, but, you right, know, right, the, right. The, the
2: paradox, and it is stunning, God, who is other, has yet come so close that we can reach out and slowly torture him to death.
3: Yeah. So he dies, <laughs> he, oh, he dies. That's <laughs> Gee, I was
1: surprised by that reason. I was expecting another conclusion to that sense. <laughs> but
3: since you referenced Isaiah chapter six, you know, in the year that King Uzziah died, well, who was he? Well, you know, he was the most successful politician on the, in the monarchy of David. He expanded the boundaries as far as they ever went. And he was so successful that he presumed to walk into the sanctuary contracting leprosy so that he was thrown out of the city, Mm. not even in the palace. And so in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah is saying, you know, behind this king, there is the real king. And when the seraphim and the cherubim are singing the Trisagion, holy, 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 you know, Isaiah's response is so revealing. Woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. And God doesn't say, oh, come on, don't be so scrupulous. You're okay,
5: and I'm okay. No. <laughs> right, right, you know, but yeah. the
3: angels are covering their faces. Yeah. Like, yeah. The angels are in absolute yeah. awe, yeah. you know, and one of the angels takes that burning coal from the altar of incense and brings it over to Isaiah. doesn't say, look at how, you know, he touches it to his lips, yeah. you know. Talk about cauterizing third right. degree, yeah. you know. Yeah. And now he's ready to go but yeah. only after that purification. And yeah. the Fathers love to pick up on that as a kind of liturgical trope for the Eucharist, that when the Eucharist touches our lips, it does so to burn yeah. sure. the dross right. yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and I mean, that kind of God, to show His love by sending His Son, you know, it's only against the backdrop of His absolute holiness do we recognize mercy for what it is.
1: Yeah. And that leads us to the Eucharistic crisis we're in right now. And and it's this division right now over approaching the Eucharist. Right, right. You know, you have Cardinal Gregory saying he's not going to change anything about giving communion to the present administration. And you have Archbishop Poole openly contradicting him saying we can't do that. Somebody who actually is working as hard as he can to kill more babies and to undermine Christian marriage and family life and to subvert religious freedom is not a Catholic in good standing, right, 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 right. and he shouldn't be receiving Communion. No. But now we have a division amongst the American bishops. I think the approach you're going to take, which I think is a good one, is that we're, we need to teach our people about what the Eucharist is and what Eucharistic coherence is. Mm. I think that's the policy mm. they're, they're adopting. And they realize that it isn't just a problem with politicians, no, absolutely it's, a pro- not. it's a problem with so many Catholics but who think are it's... receiving the Eucharist and don't understand. That in order to receive yeah, the Eucharist, I think they have if, to be...
2: if we could somehow restore a real reverence for the Eucharist, I, I think all of these other crises would melt away. Uh, wasn't it Pope Benedict who spoke about Eucharistic amazement, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. sense of John wonderment uh, mm-hmm. that should that should steal over us yeah. in the presence of the Eucharist? I mean, Gregory the Great has this great description about the angels falling flat on their faces when the
0: consecration uh, takes place; right. they're prostrate. Right. But that that's connected with what you were saying earlier, and that is this this basic fundamental encounter with Christ and who God is yeah. and, and how He's manifested. My experience has been is that when somebody is encountered by Christ, He comes alive in their heart, they come to, to a deeper love and appreciation and recognition of who He is in the Eucharist. So what you, in the book, you share a lot about some of the ramifications of this loss of a sense of God. Uh, maybe to speak a moment or two about those, the Universalism and and who's gonna go to heaven and who's not gonna go to heaven because I think this is important in this
5: world Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah, I think I think the most damaging deception that's abroad in the church right now Is this God is so merciful that he'll never let anybody be lost and virtually everybody's going to go to heaven You know, maybe a serial killer Hitler might go to hell, but we don't have anything to worry about right now This is so bad that it's just the opposite of what really is revealed to us in sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, have chap- Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are traveling that way. But narrow is the door that leads to life, difficult the road, and few who are finding it. Now, we know this isn't how God wants it to be. Sure. We know he doesn't want anybody to be on the broad way heading to destruction, but he... He allows it. There, yeah. there has to yeah. be a response to mercy. Right, right, Even yeah. Saint Faustina, in her in her diary and her revelations that Jesus speaks to her, Jesus says, "My mercy is, is is so strong, it's so powerful. The greatest of sinners is most entitled to my mercy, but if they don't respond to my mercy, they're going right. to experience my judgment." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord sent Saint Faustina an angel to take her on a tour of hell, and he told her to write it down. So nobody could say that nobody's they been there, no, nobody's like, you know, that type of thing. And, then, mm-hmm. and these aren't isolated texts. Just one more. Luke chapter 13, people point blank ask Jesus the question, very interesting question, will there be few in number who are saved? No. Now, this comes around in the liturgy all the time. Just, we just don't pay any attention to it. You know, We think it's a metaphor, it's whatever, mm-hmm. it's a parable, it's whatever. It's not really Jesus. It's the master of the house. Jesus says try very hard to enter by the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will not be able to enter to, will not be able to enter. Right. Uh, and then there's a protest that breaks out when the master closes the door, and there's those who are in and those who are out. The people are out saying, wait a second, Jesus, we ate and drank with you in the streets, you know, we maybe went to your healing services, maybe we got right, healed, we right, went to right, your right, teaching right. services, you know, we, we had exciting times with sure, you in sure. the streets of Jerusalem. And then the response is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked ones. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the wicked? What's the wickedness there? They weren't sympathetic to Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. They came to his conferences. Mm-hmm. The wickedness was they didn't believe right. in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't repent. Yeah. They didn't enter into relationship with him. They knew about Jesus. They enjoyed in Jesus, but they didn't get who he was. and he didn't, They didn't receive the message of repentance and conversion. Jesus so many times says, you are not worthy to be a disciple of mine unless you renounce all you have. You're not worthy to be a disciple of mine unless you love me more than even family right. members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that um, word was so often given to the church leaders, you know, those, the yeah. religious ones as well. Yeah. And sometimes that there's a way that we focus on the prostitute. Well, that's all of us, right? That's, that's not just them, yeah. that's us. And that yeah. invitation yeah. of well, repentance to us. Well, the point
2: is, uh, it's never love unless you're free to refuse exactly exactly I mean a a very wise Jesuit uh, once told me that uh, hell consists of the damned saying over and over to God I don't want to love I don't want to be loved I want to be left alone and God suffers him to go to a place of his own I mean that's what Lewis calls the terrifying compliment he takes so seriously the Liberty we are endowed with that we are free to spit in his eye Bird, every bridge yeah. to beatitude.
3: Yeah, I know but you've usually, written on this, Regis, in a wonderful way. Usually we don't spit in his eye. You know, he infinitely respects our freedom, which is terrifying. You know, at the 8 a.m. mass this morning, our pastor preached a homily that just connected this, you know, he didn't use the passage there in Luke, but how proximity can easily right. lead us to presumption, yeah. you know, and that a personal relationship is the purpose, you know, and it has to be renewed intentionally, but also humbly with penance. It was, you know, I I don't remember exactly how to distinguish his words from our Lord and what he was speaking to me. You know, many people who are close or proximate can presume, Mm -hmm. hmm, you know, and it was just like, don't let me do that, Mm. even though I have, you know. And uh, that was another thing I learned from Father Michael Scanlon, that that repentance doesn't begin with them. Mm -hmm. It begins with me. And uh, the joy of the gospel is what you discover when you humble yourself and let him exalt you. And it's so much more than just proof texting or selective quoting. It's like the power of the word of God is renewed, especially when we hear the voice of Jesus saying, You know, follow me, and don't presume.
1: Yeah, and that's really the message of the second half of the book, Mm -hmm. where I'm saying we need to examine our own conscience. We need to see have we been affected by this deception? Have we been affected by what the culture is saying about sexual morality is no big deal? Have we been affected by this presumption on God's mercy? Have we been affected in our own lives? Do we need to cleanse our own soul and cleanse our own heart so we enter into a more authentic relationship with disciples of Jesus so we can be a blessing to other people? with our heads clear, our hearts at peace, and, and our confidence in
0: Jesus. Uh, right. And Ralph, I just think that's so that's so important. And, and again, what, what's been said is that's, that's each of us. There's a way, I think, certain populations that looks at them, and they need... And unless it begins in my own heart, unless I take this seriously, I think in my own life and my spiritual life that the major events in my life that were just transformative, repentance was always a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was always a part yeah. of it and bringing me deeper and helping me look at myself.
1: That's part of your vocation as a T-O-R, right? Right, sure. Right. Yeah, it's, right. it's a unique... Sure. Gift. sure Sure, sure, sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, St. Maria yeah. said, we are them. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. We're not yeah. just trying to reach them. Yeah. Yeah. We are them. Yeah. 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 There is, I mean, there is this widespread uh, caricature of,
2: of God. Uh, Lewis... Uh, speaks of it, we regard him as a kind of senile benevolence—a rich, distant uncle who's always giving us money because he doesn't really give a damn for us. He wants to keep us uh, at a distance, at, at not at sword's point, but but this benign yet senile. Uh, love it's not real. It's counterfeit. Yeah, I mean love is a harsh and dreadful thing I mean Dante speaks of it as a lord of terrible aspect If you love someone you want to promote the best good in yeah. that beloved person yeah. Yeah. that might require you to knock him down right. From time to time yeah,
1: absolutely mm-hmm. Like Teresa sometimes talks about the Lord as his majesty and sometimes she talks about him as her spouse and yeah. both those dimensions yeah. are really important. Yeah. They, right. they both are necessary, the fear of God and confidence yeah. in God at the same
0: time. Ralph, you've talked a couple of times about sacrifice, and, and we're living in a world more so that that's the case, this whole cancel culture that we yeah. live in, that if you say things, it's going to have direct consequences. And yeah. maybe just speak to that, that, that sense yeah. of sacrifice and courage for that. Well,
1: I think we need to help prepare our people yeah. to stand yeah. against all different kinds of soft persecution. Maybe down the road would be more than soft, Mm -hmm. but if you're going to be loyal to Christ today, it's going to take some courage. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to deny him out of cowardness before men, it's going to take some real strengthening of your own relationship with him. So I think that's just one thing. The other thing is I think of what Mary said at Fatima. So many souls are going to hell because so few people are praying and offering sacrifice for them. So I think that many people are concerned about the salvation of their children, of relatives, of friends but they need to put some skin in the game. Mm. They yeah. need to really add fasting to their prayer. They need to show God they're serious about salvation. Right. It's not just about their children getting good jobs or getting healed of their right. illnesses. It's right. about their eternal salvation. Yeah. And if you believe that everybody's gonna go to heaven, it undermines holiness, it undermines uh, morality, it undermines mission. Why would you even bother to tell anybody about Jesus right. if all roads lead to God, you know, type of thing. So I just think these, these truths are so important mm. for people's salvation. And what a treasure that God has actually revealed to us, the path back to the Father's house. Right. You know, Jesus has come to bring us back to paradise, but we've gotta pay attention when he says, hold on here, move here, follow me here. We gotta do it or
0: we're not gonna end up back in paradise. Right. right, there is a way, not many ways Right. Amen. Yeah. Well, we'll be right back uh, with more from Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us.
5: for although they knew god they did not accord him glory as god or give him thanks instead they became vain in their reasoning and their senseless minds were darkened romans chapter 1 verse 21.
4: what if you discovered a university with unmatched science faculty and programs a place where you didn't have to choose science over faith at franciscan university of studentville you'll find faith inspired student focused research-driven programs, leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery.
5: In August of 1917, Our Lady told the children, pray, pray a great deal and make sacrifices for sinners. For many souls go to hell because they have no one to sacrifice and pray for them. And on one occasion, Sister Lucia revealed, The good Lord is allowing himself to be appeased, but he himself complains most bitterly and sorrowfully about the small number of souls in his grace who are willing to renounce whatever the observance of his laws requires of them. The Message of Fatima.
0: and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, and we record in the ComArt Studio here at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. Members of our theology faculty, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, are with us, and we're discussing with Dr. Ralph Martin pathways forward for a church in crisis. So we've laid out some of the the struggles that we're having. Uh, I have had an interesting interaction a couple of times over the last many weeks. And the basic question was, um, we find that the church is struggling, we find that there are difficulties within the bishop, and even at times from the papacy. And somebody said to me, why should I even pay attention to anything that the bishops say? I got critiqued, we at Francis University got critiqued that we take the oath of fidelity. How, how do we love the church, and how do we love our bishops, and still being able to point out some of the very beautiful, necessary things that you've done, how do we walk that, that line?
1: Well, I think Pope Francis has said and done many wonderful things. He regularly says a lot of really good things, yeah, yeah. and I, I actually teach one of his uh, encyclicals, uh, Apostolic Exhortations, in my class at the seminary, The Joy of the Gospel. What makes it difficult is he then he says other things right. that seems to like contradict, uh, complement, contrast, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. undermine, you know. That, and and it's, it's the ambiguity, it's, it's the lack of consistency that really causes a big problem. But I have no problem saying my loyalty is to him as a Catholic, as a Pope. And if he would give a legitimate order, I would obey it. Yeah, yeah. If he would give a definitive teaching, I would believe it. Yeah. But uh, these comments in airplanes and even these lesser documents and, and all that stuff, that's not magisterial teaching. Right, so right, right. we have to, unfortunately, Catholics have to grow up yeah. And understand yeah. that not everything that every pope says is the gospel truth or is magisterial teaching. We need to be able to live with imperfect popes, just like we live with imperfect Which people else, imperfect ourselves, had, a perfect right. priest and perfect ourselves, imperfect priests and bishops. The same thing applies to priests and bishops. First of all, we, be, we need to. I think Catholics need to be profoundly grateful for priests and bishops willing to sacrifice themselves to be priests and bishops. Mm-hmm. You know that the, the celibate vocation, you know all that religious life is is really a tremendous sacrifice to God that's really valuable, that we really need to honor, and, and, and really, and we wouldn't have the Eucharist, and we wouldn't have the sacraments, and all that. You know, of course. So we have to honor every priest, but at the same time, I have a chapter in the book says a time for action. Amen. Lay people need to be able to confront things when they should be confronted, or inquire right. about yeah. things that don't seem right. Yeah. I, I suggest, you know, somebody gives a sermon in your parish that sounds off, you know, don't jump to conclusions, but go talk to the priest and say, you know, this is what I heard you say. This is what you were planning to say, and right. the priest may say, "Oh, I didn't mean to give that impression." Right, right, and right. he says, "You know, I'll, I'll clear it up next week. That's great." But some priests might say, "Oh, yeah, I think the church really needs to move in this direction. Right. I think it needs to change its teaching here. It's just a matter of time." Then we got a problem. Sure. And so I recommend lay people kind of go to the bishop and say. This priest doesn't seem to believe something that the church teaches, and I'm really concerned about people's faith in our parish and morality being undermined. And, and I, I warn light people that the bishop isn't going to be happy to hear from you. <laughs> he, he doesn't want to hear that there's any problems with any of his priests because he's just he's desperate to fill all the spots and he's got a priest shortage, but he got to do it. Right. And then it's up to the bishop whether he does something about it or not. And what I tell bishops now is that you're not going to be judged when you appear before the judgment seat of God on how you voted in the bishops' conference, you're gonna be right. judged on how you protected your flock from the wolves that are coming at them from right. every right. single side. Yeah. He's primarily a shepherd, Right, right. Right. Right.
2: I, right? I think it's helpful to keep our pretensions fairly modest. The Pope is not God, uh, and the charism of infallibility doesn't cover everything he says. Prudential judgments, I I think, can be challenged, and and from time to time, they're rather stupid, uh, and they can be contested in a -hmm. a respectful uh, and courteous way. Uh, I I think of W.G. Ward, who was sort of an infamous late 19th century English Catholic, a convert, who was an ultramontanist uh, by persuasion, and he used to say, I can hardly wait for the time when every morning with my bowl of Wheaties, I will have an edict from the Pope. And Newman rebuked him for that. I mean, that's a kind of excessive uh, devotion. And I think Pope Francis would shrink from that. Any self-respecting Pope would say, look, this is too much. I'm I'm not God. You can't apotheosize me.
3: You know, we've had several really amazing Popes, uh, and following the decree in 1870 that the Pope is infallible and all of that, you know, but only in certain instances yep. is that charism of infallibility exercised. Right. And so I think God and His merciful Providence may be using Pope Francis to kind of adjust our screen because, with technology, with mass media, with the social media, you know, everything the Pope was saying for decades, you know, was front and center. And so John Paul, amazing for more than a quarter of a century, he kind of got the boat back in the right direction. Uh, But I I, I think that this is a reminder that Mm -hmm. it's not a personality cult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Never was, never will be. I mean, if Jesus wanted that, he would not have chosen Peter, you know? And so (laughs) if we recognize that we can also recognize and affirm something that was said during the break and I'll just keep it kind of uh, vague, but uh, here's a priest who's striving to be faithful in the context of a diocese that is corrupt. And what does he say? I'd die for my bishop. I'd die for my bishop. I don't agree with everything he says, but I'd die for him. And I think we've gotta be willing to say, I'd die for the Pope. Not because he is my favorite person on the planet, but because he is the vicar of Christ and out of love Mm -hmm. for Christ. Mm -hmm. And so how do you balance that kind of supernatural loyalty, steadfast fidelity, you know, looking through Pope Francis, we see Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope. He's the vicar of Christ. So we've got to pray for him yeah. in a magnificent and sincere way. Yeah. At the same time, sound doctrine is as essential now as it was ever before.
1: Right. You know, just a thought occurred to me, Scott, when you were saying that. I think everything that's happening is happening under the providential hand of God. Amen. There's nothing that's happening that he's not permitting. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's happening that he doesn't have a plan to bring tremendous good out of it's going to be the cleansing and purification yeah. of the church and the judgment of the wicked eventually but uh, i think about what you said about we got to get over our papal idolatry, you know yeah, you effect. know and that's blocking sometimes people's relationship with christ mm-hmm. yeah. they're looking to the pope in a way they should be only looking yeah. to christ but also with the church is closing the same thing yeah. we were talking last night you know a lot of people have tied their faith so much to the church building that when the church is closed they felt right. cut off from Christ, yeah. Yeah. and when we now close parishes because there's not enough priests to handle them or the people aren't there, people who are in those closed parishes sometimes refuse to go a mile to another right. parish because right. their faith was connected with a building. Yeah. So I think this is a wake-up call for us all yeah. to bring our people to a relationship with Christ that isn't dependent on a building and isn't dependent right. on a man.
0: But right. didn't, didn't John Paul, or excuse me, Francis say that in Evangelii Gaudium, that we need to speak more about Jesus than we do about the Pope? Yeah, You know, and I, and I think there's something to that. One of the things that I found frustrating is, let's jump back 20 years ago, it was always the Pope, the Pope, the Pope yeah. Believe, say he says it, believe it, right. no question. Right. And now that same population is the one who's saying, well, so there has to be this. Yeah, they're the it, ones it jumping is. ship. It is the same I mean, the population. The title
2: of uh, the constitution on the church, the dogmatic constitution, Lumen Gentium, yeah. does not refer to the church. The Lumen the light of the nations, is Christ. Her church, I mean, her light is is somehow mediated. It's like the light of the moon. It's radiated Mm -hmm. from that center, and we need to return to that center.
1: Well, it says, you know, Pope John XXIII said the purpose of Vatican Council, and it's in the council documents, is to make the face of Christ shine forth more clearly from the church, you know, to uh, remove the obstacles, remove the misunderstandings, to present things in a more... A positive way, whatever, right, to, yeah. so that Christ can stand forth more clearly. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the message of this this COVID. This is part mm-hmm. of the message of right. confusion, mm-hmm. that it's a, it's a wake-up call for Catholics to kind of see where they really stand, who
0: they trust, where they believe, and it's, it's got so to be Jesus. Speak to that, Ralph. Uh, in the midst of all of this, there is hope. You know, the one of the things you said at the very beginning you know, it's just very beautiful and touching, is in the midst of all this, you're filled with hope.
1: Oh, I, I'm, I'm actually more than filled with hope. I'm excited to see the Lord dealing with this. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the Lord moving and acting, even though it's in very painful ways. And, I, I'm, you know, let's face it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. We could totally rely on him. We can give the full trust of our life to him. His word will not pass away until it's all fulfilled. It's uh, That's why we need to recover our confidence in Scripture, recover our confidence in Christ, and, and grow up as adults and learn how yeah. to distinguish kind of error from truth and recognize deception that's gotten internal life. I think it also means we need to change our pastoral strategy. I think our pastoral strategy, and this is why so many bishops are timid, they're they're adopted a pastoral strategy that isn't adequate anymore for the new cultural situation. Yeah. The pastoral strategy is let's win the world's affection. Let's show the world how much we love what's in the world. Yeah. Let's show the world how much we are not against science. We're, we're for democracy. We're for right. science. We're, right. you know, we're for experts. We're for you know, universities, all that stuff, you know, trying to overcome negative images that the church has had. But that's not working anymore. Because the culture now has yeah. turned on yeah. us. And there's a, there's a text in the epistle of James where it says, he who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Right. So right. we need to get over trying right. to be a friend of the world because we've become an enemy of God You know, what Pope Benedict called the catastrophic failure of catechesis. We were afraid to tell it like it is. We were Mm -hmm. afraid to tell the truth to people. And and it's not loving, it's not compassionate to not tell the truth. So we've got to change our pastoral strategy. Last chapter of a book I wrote called, Will Many Be Saved? What Vatican II Really Teaches, talks about we need to change our pastoral strategy. We need to start preaching the gospel again, clearly without Mm -hmm. compromise, Mm -hmm. without trying to uh, soften parts of it to win the culture's friendship. The, the, the culture isn't going to be our friend. No. The yeah, culture I mean, has doubled down. Right. On the, it, the, the
2: necessary thing is to ingratiate yourself with Jesus. Yes. Not with the world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in a way, he came to judge the world yeah. uh, and, and to win that world for his father. To bring people out of the world. Right.
3: Yeah. You know, th- there is a, a sense in which you bear a prophetic mantle. I think of Elijah, you know, and Elijah just got worn out. You know? And so he got bread for the journey and then he went 40 days just on that alone. And I can't help but think of how the Eucharist sustains us. Mm-hmm. Eucharistic faith, yeah, eucharistic devotion, sure. Eucharistic amazement, most especially. But then when he finally gets to Horeb, you know, and he's in that cave and the Lord sends an earthquake, a fire, splits the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and then suddenly he speaks to Elijah in a still small voice. And fear and trembling he covers himself with his cape, you know, yeah. and I I think that every time we hear, this is my body, that still small voice, Mm -hmm. more than an earthquake, more than a mighty wind, more than fire, that ought to just seize us with the omnipotent mercy of God, which is omnipotent love in action, especially for us, so that our profession of faith doesn't become professionalism, that we are renewed in that profession of faith because it's Jesus. It isn't even the mass, well it is for now, but when we get to heaven, we're not going to ask for the mass schedule. You know, we we're going to enter into something gloriously present, and that is Jesus in his face. But I, I do think at that point, Elijah was ready to hear, you're not the only one. You know, there are 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have the name list. Right. I know who they are. You go back now and proclaim my word. Yeah. And that cycle of renewal through the still small voice, yeah. through the presence of Jesus, And through our admission that we are worn out, we feel like Elijah, I alone am left. You know, no, you're not. Get over yourself. You know, and there's something freeing, you know, childlikeness returns to us.
1: Absolutely.
2: I, I can't imagine why anybody would want to take leave of a church that can confect. The Eucharist. I mean, the clearest reminder we have that God is still here. He hasn't left us orphans until the consummation of the world. He will be here in, in that still point. That's where the world turns. Mm. The cross mm. stands mm. steady. The world spins about that still point. And that's the Eucharist. I mean, this is God. Yeah. Nothing other than God. I mean, to believe that, I, I think, should be enough should be enough to consult anyone. But
1: also, you know, the Catholic Church is the only church still standing that's really been completely faithful to the teaching of Jesus in the area of marriage and family life and sexuality. Yeah. Even though it's wobbling, even though it's under attack, right. even though there's division about it, the church is is the only one teaching I the full know. counsel of God in this area. Yeah. I wonder, Father Dave, if we could tell people where to get this book from because the editor-in-chief is right
4: here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I yeah.
1: tell him? Sure, please. I This is a book I think will help you get settled down about what's going on by identifying and let you naming it. And it's available from Emmaus Road Publications and tell them how they can get there.
3: Well, they can go to stpaulcenter.com and see a lot of books that are out from from Emmaus Road. But I must admit that this is the the flagship of the last five or 10 years. We are so grateful to our Lord that you put the time and effort into this. You know, at one point we were talking about um, just sort of revising a crisis of truth from the, from the 70s and 80s, because of the effect that it had on a whole generation. Well, now there's a new generation. Mm-hmm. Clergy and laity alike need to hear the sober warning, but at the same time, the amazing excitement of your hope.
0: Amen. Yeah. And up next, our panel and our guests will share our, their final thoughts on Pathways Forward for Church in
5: Crisis. Stay with us. Evangelization is the task of the church. The church, as the agent of evangelization, is more than an organic and hierarchical institution. She is first and foremost a people advancing on its pilgrim way towards God. Pope Francis, Evangelii Gaudium 111.
4: There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu where your faith and career can connect online.
5: I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it has been out on the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. So many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength, light, and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ, without a community of faith to support them, without meaning and a goal in life. Pope Francis, Evangelii Gaudium 49.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. So, Regis, if you would start us off with your final thoughts. Yeah, no,
2: I'd be uh, happy to do so. Uh, Let me leave uh, the viewer with another shameless plug. Uh, That's a splendid book uh, you've written. It's really magnificent, Uh, and I think everybody should go out and buy it uh, straight away. I'm I'm reminded of uh, a marvelous uh, Portuguese Proverb. I always quote it uh, to my students. God writes straight with crooked pencils. And I mean, my own pencil is pretty crooked. I'm the (laughs) the most crooked pretzel in the store. But there are a lot of Episcopal uh, pretzels that have been broken up, uh, and yet God is able to write straight with them. I mean, one of my heroes is Hilaire Belloc, who would oftentimes say, of course, the church is infallible. How else? Could she have survived so many thousands of years of rogues and scoundrels and idiots? Yes, she's infallible. And you know, the image I have of Pope Francis uh, that that really endears me to him is, is when he Confessed that long before he became Pope, but would often come to Rome, he would immediately go to the church of uh, Saint Louis, the French church, where there is this Caravaggio painting, the calling of Saint Matthew, and he would sit there transfixed watching you know, that finger of God right, right. pointing at him. I want you. Mm. And, and that's the same finger that gaze. points to all of us. I want you yeah. and you and you. Yeah. I need
3: you. Amen. You are
2: an extension of my work. Yeah, yeah.
0: beautiful. Thank you, Regis, Scott.
3: Yeah. All right, well, I'm not gonna give a shameless plug, but I do wanna say thank you for writing this book. Uh, I told you the story of when I became Catholic in 86, I became a professor in 87, it was daunting. And I used Crisis of Truth, and I remember vividly this encounter with one of my better students, or at least he was gonna become one. He came in, he read that book, he said, I don't know what I've been doing. And you could just sense the glimmer of a profound grace of conversion, deep conversion. Uh, His name was Tim Gray, uh, founder of the Augusta Institute and president, and uh, he came here, got his master's degree, but I just can't help but think that he is one of many. Back then, in this generation, we need it again. And that's what's happened here with this book, A Church in Crisis, because we're not, you know, in any less of a crisis. Mm -hmm. It's very different, but the graces that will renew us are are plentiful and available. I also wanted to say that I counted a double privilege for us to have been the publisher of The Fulfillment of All Desire. And I must say, it's a one-two combination because you do give practical advice for being hopeful, not just optimistic. Mm -hmm. That's a human disposition. But supernatural hope is one of the three theological virtues, perhaps the most neglected. But uh, besides the practical advice for being hope-filled and excited, Fulfillment of All Desire plugs you into Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and my own kids now are putting me to shame by reading it or rereading it, and their prayer lives are just the key to being husband, father, mother, mm-hmm. wife, you know, mm-hmm. and all of the rest. And I think the renewal of our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer, daily prayer, and not just the rosary, my favorite, but that mental prayer, that mm-hmm. conversation with a friend like you, <laughs> a friend like no other. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for being faithful and thank you for saying yes. I remember you bearing witness to Father Mike. Uh, when he had passed, mm-hmm. and I don't want to wait till you pass, you know. But just bear bear witness to God's faithfulness in your in your work. Thank you for the friendship. Thank yeah. you, Scott.
1: Yeah. Final yeah. thoughts. Yeah, chapter five talks about stop straddling the issue, and I think that's the wake up call. Every Catholic has, has to stop straddling the issue. If we got one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom one foot in deception, one foot in truth. We've got to stop picking and choosing from the divine revelation and accept every word that comes from God's mouth as it comes to us through the tradition of the church as it's in the catechism of the Catholic church. This is a wake-up call to stop straddling the issue and really have Jesus as the complete Lord of your life where every single part of your life is in harmony with him, in harmony with his will, in harmony with his love. Stop straddling the issue. Your life depends on it, and the life of the church, and the life of the culture depends on it.
0: Amen. And we're just very grateful to have you with us, Ralph. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about today's topic, we have this free handout. It's an article that Ralph wrote called The Final Confrontation, uh, and it will be yours free if you simply go online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number you'll see at the screen in just a moment. Uh, Ralph, I too wanted to be able to thank you for uh, this book. Uh, I must say that when you... For, we. Uh, I sit on your board, and you were talking about it before. Father well, Mike is
1: on our board. Yeah, carrying on the tradition from Father right. Mike. Yeah. And you
0: were on
3: our board, yeah. too. Yes,
0: yes, right. So just the, the, how this developed, and, and when I think of and prayed about it, it was a sense of faithfulness, that, that you were faithful to what the Lord was doing. And, and at times, uh, I have said, uh, I'm so glad that you're on our side. You know, that, that I can count you as brother in dinner last night just because I listen to your words and I see what you do and I read what you write, and it's such a blessing and a grace uh, to be able to work with you and to be able to have you a part of the university here. So Couldn't do it without friends and brothers
1: and sisters in Christ, my Amen. goodness, you know. Amen. Thank you for Amen.
0: being brothers in Christ. I remember when I was a postulant, and there's nobody young, lower than a postulant. You're just new and trying to figure out religious life and community life. And, and I had a professor, I don't even honestly remember what the name of the course was. Uh, and he was talking about how we wrestle with the church. And, and he said that wrestling is actually a very holy and a very healthy thing. And that when we're actually wrestling with something, it means we're, we're looking at it, we're thinking about it, we're discerning, we're owning it. And it's not just is blind, but we, we really take that in and make it a part of us. And in the end, he said that his experience was that he came across things that were troubling and things that he didn't understand, and he said at times that he didn't agree with. But there was a moment that he understand that ultimately that he had to bow his head in submission. And he had to bow his head in humility. And I think that that's what the Lord has, has been speaking to me through this, is, is you said that you believe the Lord is, is leading all this. And that's what I've wrestled with and, and, and just sat with and prayed with, that God is either God of the church or he isn't, right? Mm-hmm. He is either faithful or he isn't. And he is either in charge. I think of what John the 23rd said. He goes to bed and he says, the church is yours. That is either fundamentally true or it's not. The word of God is fundamentally true or it's not. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to come down on the side yeah. that it is. And there are times that that causes me to just stop, listen to that still voice, and bow my head in yeah. humility. Amen. And it's the way that I think that we're able to encounter the Lord and and come out of this with a sense of hope. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I've just being listening to people, and they're so some of them are so frightened and they're so angry. And that's just, that's not of, not God. of God. And, and God no. is the, the evil one. I think we, we've not necessarily called it out, but the evil one is behind all of this. And it's diabolical the way he's working. And and and, and people in the church fighting against one another. And we've got to stop. Yeah. We've got to be present to the Lord. We've got to listen to that small voice. We have to pray for a sense of humility, recognizing the Lord's presence in the church, in the body of the Christ who is... Uh, we were using the analogy that the, the church wobbles, but never falls down, right? <laughs> yeah. The church will never fall down. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call that you've placed on our life. We thank you for your blessing and your grace that you've given to Ralph to share the word that you're speaking to him, that that word would find a place in our hearts and in our minds. Jesus, I pray for all those who are viewing this program, that they would know your grace, your love, your peace, Give them the grace to make a choice to stand in Your Kingdom and to be a part of Your Kingdom, Lord. We pray Your continued mercy and blessing and grace to be upon us and upon the Church. May the Lord bless us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, for you.
5: Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or, request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu. Or, reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447. That's 800-783-6447.